to Everyday Nonviolence. This podcast is produced by Friends for a Nonviolent World, or FNVW. FNVW works to promote and create peace and justice in our community by using the principles and practices of nonviolence to transform conflict and to address the root causes of violence. The Everyday Nonviolence podcast highlights people whose stories deepen our understanding of violence and whose lives demonstrate the many ways nonviolence can promote healing and social change. Hello everyone, my name is Emily Rowe. I am a sophomore student at the University of Minnesota Twin Cities and I will be your host for this episode of the Everyday Nonviolence Podcast. Joining me today is our guest, Kyle Tran Myrie. Kyle, also known by a stage name Guante, is a poet and activist whose work explores the relationships between narrative power and resistance. Whether writing about men's roles or ending gender violence, challenging dominant narratives related to race, or just telling stories of the different jobs he's had, he strives to cultivate a deeper engagement with social justice issues. He completed his master's degree at the University of Minnesota with a focus on spoken word, critical pedagogy, and social justice education, and regularly facilitates workshops in residency. He's performed at the United Nations, been a member of two National Poetry Slam Championship teams, and has visited countless colleges, conferences, and festivals, using storytelling as doorways into critical dialogue. Kyle, thank you so much for joining us today. So the first question I thought, just to kind of dive right in, was what brought you into your work? What background inspired this path of yours? So because I do a lot of work with with high schoolers and young people around writing, one of the first stories I get to tell is that it makes no sense that this is my job (laughs) because I am personally the most quiet, shy, introverted person in the universe. And yet my job is to stand up in front of people and talk. And, And so that... And so in terms of like, how did that actually happen? It, it was all through relationships. You know, it was never in my own head telling myself that I wanted to be a performer or that I wanted to be up on a stage. It was having friends who would kind of drag me along with them to the open mic or the poetry slam. And not to mention also like the activist meeting or the rally. And like the way that I got engaged in the stuff that I do today was, was purely through relationships, through other people. Yeah, I remember when I first saw your presentation at my school that you mentioned that when you were standing up there, you felt a lot of anxiety and had a, was kind of a ball of nerves. And that really humanized the work for me. Thank you. That's great to hear. Thank you. <laughs> Next, kind of diving more specifically into some of the topics that you speak about. I know that you've written about men's roles in ending gender violence, which is a topic that we previously explored on the podcast. What led to your interest in this issue specifically? So I got into that work again through relationships, through happening to have mentors who kind of brought me into the work that they were already doing. And this was probably when I was 19, 20, 21 years old. It was not something that I grew up thinking a lot about. I think like a lot of young men is not something that we think about the idea of unless we experience it ourselves in our households, like, but the idea of domestic violence, gender-based violence, um, things like that. And then I think, you know, going to college, being a college student, 
and being um, exposed to kind of the diversity of opinions and perspectives and experiences in that space was part of it. But then also having specific people of multiple gender identities working on that issue and whose life's work was was organizing around that and doing narrative shifting work around gender issues and gender-based violence issues and having them actually kind of reach out and kind of take me under their wing you know made all the difference so again you know not to sound like a broken record but so much of this work i think and you could probably extrapolate that out to, to lots of different kinds of activist work is driven by relationships by actual people that we are in community with that's such a good point that you bring up about how relationships are kind of what strengthens movements. Do you kind of see yourself as that mentor for other people now? I try to be, you know, I think I, I try to be someone who can share resources. And if I have any insight, I'll share that insight. But I think specifically sharing resources and contacts and opportunities with younger people who are, you know, in my community who are trying to get into this kind of work. When I say this kind of work, whether that is the kind of activism and advocacy stuff that I do, or just on the art side, who are trying to build a career for themselves as artists. The only reason that I am where I am today is because people took the time to share those kinds of resources with me. And I feel, you know, obligated in a good way, not in a, a burdensome way. I feel obligated in a, in a very positive way to keep sharing those resources, to keep that thread going. Yeah, that's awesome. Kind of along those lines, I'm a big listener of Fred again, and I noticed that you actually collaborated with him on a few songs, one of them being one of my favorites. I was curious how collaboration in this way or other ways has played a role in kind of facilitating your work within the social justice realm. You know, it's a funny example because you know, that's, that's one of the more high profile, obviously, collaborations that, that I've done. And it wasn't super, super intense on, on that kind of relationship side. Like, we've never met in real life. We've, you know, I've, we've talked on the internet a few times and he kind of sampled a poem that I had already written 10 years ago and then put it in the song. And then we collaborated on another song more recently um, that I wrote something original for. But I think the thing that I would pull out from that is even though our collaboration as two people wasn't super, super in, in depth. I think the idea that collaboration opens doors and it like brings people into your work who maybe wouldn't have been exposed to your work otherwise is a really key point. And so when I try to collaborate with people, you know, in my community, when I am collaborating more in depth, whether that be with a producer or another poet or even on an activist level, kind of relationship building, it, it still goes back to the idea of how do we open more doors? How do we bring more people into the work through coming together? When it, it is so easy, I, I say this not as a platitude, but it's something that I feel tension around and struggle with myself. It is so easy to silo myself off and be like, I'm going to do my work over here in this corner and everyone else just leave me alone because that's, you know, naturally what I want to say a lot of times. And so I think whether it is something high profile, like like the Fred Again collaboration or something that is maybe harder to, to see in like my, my bio or in the stuff that people actually know me for, I think in both cases, when we are able to reach out and work together with other people, it just, it creates so much more space to create something that's bigger than the sum of its parts, to bring more people into the work, to, I guess the idea is that you never know what the ripple effects of a particular project are going to be and who that who that's going to reach. And that's such an important lesson for artists, but it's also, I think, a really important lesson for, for activists and advocates. Too. 
I think that it's really important to emphasize again that interconnectedness and how it's like you can kind of connect with someone in this niche sphere and then they can kind of explore from there. I will just say really, really briefly, it's funny because, you know, because of the work that I do, I'm up in front of people all the time. A lot, a lot of times college students, sometimes high school students, sometimes just like adults, just random people. And in any group of 100 or 300 people who are at one of my events, it's like a tiny handful will know me because of the spoken word stuff that I've done that has like gone viral over the years. And, you know, people might've grown up watching slam poetry videos on YouTube or something. And then 99% of everyone else will have no idea who I am. And then like another, like one or 2% of people will know me because of the, the Fred again thing. And 99% of people have no idea who I am. And like you said, it's these little kind of moments in our lives, these little kind of niche projects and, and, and things that, <laughs> I, I keep going going back to the idea of, of opening doors and like creating space. And I don't, again, I don't want to just repeat myself over and over, but I do think that's such an important part of this work that like, you know, art especially isn't just about the art itself. It's about how it puts people in a room together who would maybe not be in a room together otherwise. And I find that really inspiring. Along that line, how do you feel that art can serve as this nonviolent method to address social justice concerns? How do you think that people can be drawn in with the art? Yeah, that's a great question. Three things come to mind for me. One is on a very, very like individual level, there's this idea that we all have stuff kind of swirling around inside of us, whether it is anger or grief or confusion or frustration or whatever. And like, you know, this is very, very straightforward. Like it's important that we have somewhere to put that stuff, right? And sometimes it can come out in a constructive way. And a lot of that is, could be art, right? Like writing poems, creating music. It could be things like, you know, working out or, or playing a sport or something. And it could also be like destructive things, like getting into a bar fight or something. I don't know. Um, and so like on a very, very, very like individual level, um, that the power of art, I think, is, is in that, like having some kind of outlet for that energy. But then of course, you know, there's also the, the the interpersonal level, and then there's also kind of the larger scale cultural level. I think about at both of those levels, there's something there about um, narratives. You know, this is what my presentation that I that I think you saw was about the, the fundamental importance of one, like identifying the kind of dominant narratives that are always flowing around us about different issues, about different people, about different places. Like what are the stereotypes? What are the, the stories that are told over and over and over again to the point that we don't even see them anymore? So like being able to identify them, but also being able to tell our own stories. You know, that's such a fundamental part of an arts practice is having a space and developing the skill to tell our own stories and, and say like, yes, you might have these assumptions about me, but this is who I am and this is what I believe and this is the community that I represent. And I think that's really important. And then just the last the last thought I have here kind of relates to what, what we've been talking about is that an arts practice is so important, not just because of the art itself, but because of the, the relationships, the community that can kind of sprout around the art. Um, you know, so much of you know, whether we're talking the world of nonviolence and nonviolence direct organizing, we'll talk about transformative justice and we talk about, you know, all the different things that have been on your show and in, in the work that you do. Like, it's funny how much of that boils down to having space for people to sit down and talk to each other and like work out 
problems and actually build those relationships versus relying on kind of older structural notions of power and control and dominance, but when we can just talk to each other. And of course, that doesn't have to be through art, but art can be a powerful channel for that. Yeah. Do you find that art is maybe a more engaging way for people to enter into those critical conversations? I know that sometimes students may not be as engaged with things if they don't have that connection. Do you think that this particular path engages people a little bit more? Oh, that, that's such a good question. And it's also kind of a, a loaded question in the sense that I am a a poet, right? And so like, I want to say, yes, like by, by using poetry, I can make an abstract idea come to life for the audience. I can put a human face on something that people maybe haven't thought about before. And I, you know, I do think that that's true. And I think, you know, different tools work for different jobs and like for different audiences. And I think there are certainly people who do not want to hear a spoken word poem about white supremacy or about critical masculinities, right? And for some people, you know, the kind of old fashioned PowerPoint presentation is gonna be more powerful. For some people, the poem is gonna be more powerful. For some people, none of that is gonna work and it has to be through actual like life experiences that they have. And I think for most of us, it's, it's a combination of things. I think about the work that I do as very much a supplement to other kinds of work, right? So just to use that very, very specific example of like, um, I do a lot of work around consent. I always try to tell the, you know, the colleges or the schools that book me, you know, what I do is probably not the consent training that every student needs to go through. I think what I do is a, a an extra thing. It's like, once that seed has already been planted, what I can do is try to water that seed a little bit or vice versa. Maybe I plant the seed and then through more intentional programming and trainings, they continue to water it. But you know, I, I love that idea of diversity of tactics and we're like art, is not the magical thing that that makes the world turn, but it can help. It can be one tool in a larger process. I appreciate that perspective because I think a lot of people might not know how to engage in it and then proceed to be kind of ignorant or not want to get involved. So I think that's a great way to put that. I know we've talked a lot about relationships and kind of about how connection can bring people into the work. So I just wanted to briefly mention how I came to know you. I became aware of Kyle through his work with the College of Liberal Arts at my school. He kind of facilitated a conversation about identity and narrative. So I wanted to ask, other than college students, what other communities do you primarily work with? How do you see this impact of your work? It's hard to break it down into specific pie chart fractions, but I think a, a lot of the work that I do is with undergrads in college. But then the next kind of group of people who I work with the most are probably teenagers. Sometimes that is through, I do residency work. Um, here in Minnesota, I work with organizations like Compass and True Art Speaks, where they will place you know, a poet or a visual artist or a dancer in a classroom. It might, it might just be for a week at a time. It might be for a semester. It might be for a single day. Like every situation is different. A lot of the work that I do is, is kind of residency based where I'm the person who's facilitating the poetry unit for the week. But then I also do kind of this similar stuff to what you're talking about with, with high school students too, where it's maybe more about leadership or agency or identity or a community organizing, you know, one-on-one -on -one kind of conversation. <laughs> it's hard to talk about what I do. Like, it's hard to have a good elevator pitch because it is so all over the place. You know, it's like different age groups in different situations talking about different things. But I think 
the thread that connects a lot of it is kind of what, what you pointed to with that that CLA presentation. It was narrative, the the idea of identifying the stories that are flowing around us and also telling our own stories. Like I think whether that is purely an arts-based thing, we can have that conversation in like a high school, whether that is more of a, you know, a specific thing around a specific social justice topic, we can have that conversation. But but it all it all comes together through that lens of the power of storytelling and how every culture on earth has some analog to the storyteller or the, you know the, the griot the person who passes along the values or the history of a people or a place through an artistic process how have you seen your work impact these communities and kind of come to fruition i think the the easy answer to that easy and and hard <laughs> is that you don't you don't always see it it's kind of a cliche, but I also think it's a useful metaphor, the idea of, of planting seeds, that like you plant seeds, you're not always going to be around to harvest them. Um, part of the work is just telling stories and sharing perspectives and knowing that people are listening to you, you know, whether or not they stand up and, and applaud and love you or buy your book or, you know, buy your album later or anything, to, to know that they're listening and that particularly around the more um, kind of specific issue-based stuff that I do around consent and, and gender violence prevention and healthy masculinity. I know that a lot of times in those spaces, it's not going to be an instant, like I'd say a poem and then suddenly all the men are like, oh, they're crying and they can't believe how they've been wrong their whole lives. Like that never, ever happens. It's much more about again, like I said, either I'm, I'm planting the seed or maybe a seed has already been planted and I'm, I'm watering it. But I think art plays such an important role in that kind of work. And then, of course, there are, you know, here and there, there are times where I do get to see, like, here's a student I worked with when they were 16. And now they're, they've got their own, you know, th their debut poetry book is coming out. And like, not, you know, I would never try to take responsibility or, or, or credit for that. But to know that you can be a, a lily pad in someone's journey um, is a really powerful feeling. I think it sounds super powerful that you can kind of see that continuity over time while also knowing that maybe you did have an effect that you'll never see, but you can still feel good about it. Another thought on that, seeing the effects of your work thing. I also try to think about that not as just an individual, but as someone who is part of a much, 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 much broader movement of people doing the kind of work that I do. And I think when we reframe it from an individual thing to a collective thing, then it maybe it, it becomes a little bit easier to talk about some of the changes that I'm seeing. So, I'm, you know, in my bio, it says like, I performed at, at the United Nations. And I think the when I perform there, it's not because I'm, you know, the most incredible poet in the world. It's because they were having a conference on men's roles in um, disrupting gender-based violence around the world. And I was just one of many, many speakers um, talking through that, and you know, I, I shared a poem. And I think the fact that that conference was happening at the United Nations at that level, again, it had nothing to do with me. It speaks to the collective effort of advocates and organizers and survivors and you know, people on campuses and in communities all around the country and all around the world, like really changing the narrative in a very, very specific, powerful way. Another good example of that is 15 years ago, the framework around consent and like sexual violence, like on campus could be like a, a no means no framework. And like through the work of, again, writers and organizers and activists throughout the years that has really shifted to a, like a yes means yes framework, the idea of affirmative consent and, you know, campuses having affirmative consent policies. And I think it, it shows that like 
narrative change is not just a, a, a talking point or like a buzzword. It is a thing that really, really does happen. And, you know, a million other examples we could talk about there. I think it's important to kind of contextualize your own actions in the greater sphere. Sometimes you might feel like nothing's happening or no change is happening and kind of ask yourself, what am I doing this for? So I think that's a great point of being able to incorporate your work in the bigger movement. I know you've been doing this work for a decent amount of time. You've produced a lot of uh, albums, books, you've done it on a variety of topics. So this might be a challenging question, but I was curious, is there one thing, project or topic in particular that you find yourself either most proud of or most passionate about? You know, I don't know how common this is for artists in general, but I know I tend to have a, a recency bias in that, you know, I kind of discount everything I did before six months ago, but then the last thing that I did, I'm really proud of. And in this case, I think that's my most recent book is called Not A Lot Of Reasons To Sing, But Enough. Um, it came out through Button Poetry last year. It's a book that I'm proud of, partly for just aesthetic reasons. It's a weird, like, science fiction concept poetry book. It's about a robot poet and their human apprentice traveling across a prison colony moon. And then, like, the poems in the book are the poems that they share, but also the poems that they hear from the people in the villages. And so it's this very multivocal, weird thing, which was just fun to write. I needed to do, I needed to step outside the kind of expectation of what a poetry book is supposed to be, which is all, you know, confessional, first person, like, I am the voice and I am the poem, like, constructions. So I wanted to do something weird. But then on a content level, which maybe relates more to, you know, this podcast even, it's a book that allowed me to talk about certain issues from a different angle than how I usually talk about them. Like I've written a ton about, about violence and, and violence prevention and through the lens of talking about, you know, masculinity, but also whiteness and white supremacy and capitalism and like all the different kind of structures of oppression that exist in our world. And so writing this book that, that took place on a different world was a way to challenge myself. Like, how can I write about these same things that are so important that I want to be writing about? from a completely new angle, from a co completely fresh angle. And so it's still a book about masculinity and about kind of abolition and like prisons and, and policing, but without any of the pop culture references, without any of the historical references that we would normally use or that I would normally use. And I can't tell anyone whether or not that was successful as an artistic project, like that's up to the reader to decide. But for me, it was just really, really healthy. Um, as a challenge, but also as a way to ex express myself and how I was feeling. That's awesome. Yeah, I've never heard of poetry in that sci-fi narrative context. That's super interesting. Going off of that, you mentioned that you wrote this because you needed to take that moment for yourself to kind of have fun with it. Would you say that you prioritize self-care when working in this nonviolent sphere? Again, a really great question. I could give a very simple answer like, oh yeah, self-care is great. There's also, there's a complexity in, in that question around, you know, what is the function of your artistic practice for, for you? And like, it's something I, or I work with students around, like, there's not necessarily a right or wrong answer to that, but it can be really helpful to have some intentionality around why am I doing this? Like, why am I creating this work? Why am I standing up in front of a bunch of strangers and, and talking about it? And I think the way that those conversations often go is that for a lot of people when they're first getting started, and not just when they're getting started, like this could be at any point along someone's journey, but I think especially for people who are getting started, it's very, very internal, it's very, very personal. It's like, 
I'm writing because again, I have something inside me that I need to get out. Um, I'm writing because I'm processing different things that I've been through and writing is a, a healthy way for me to process that. And like, I'm just doing it for myself. I think for all, for all of us as artists, there's always some elements of that, whether it's 90% of the work or 10% of the work. But then for me, as I've gotten older, it really has been about, you know, for better or worse, this can be controversial, but thinking more externally, thinking about the context of the work, like, where does this poem live in the world? How can this poem be useful in the world beyond just being useful for my own kind of self-care or, or self-expression? I'm most proud of poems that have been used in things like like trainings, right? That that are useful for clarifying particular issues for people who have already gotten the PowerPoint presentation and like the three bullet points of definitions, but are looking for something a little more narrative or a little more artistic to make that point in a, in a I want to say a, a deeper way, but just in a different way. So my own personal practice now is is very much you know, you, you never lose the self-expression part of it, but it is very much about thinking, how can this be useful in the world? Yeah. So would you say that you prioritize that intentionality now a little bit more than you might have in the past? Yeah, I think so. And, I, you know, and I think that's a perfectly natural kind of progression for an artist is that intentionality often comes later because when you're starting out you're just kind of experimenting and having fun and like you don't necessarily know even what the options are for an intentional artistic practice or whatever and you know i think that makes so much sense and i think it, that was my own journey as well just kind of figuring things out as you go along you know getting advice and getting perspective from from mentors and like people in my community but also you know having fun and playing i think the word play is an important word Awesome. I think it's important for people to remember that not all of the work has to be really hard or draining, but sometimes it can be fun and you can kind of enjoy yourself. Yeah. I mean, especially coming from the world of spoken word and slam poetry specifically, I could go off on a very long tangent about all of this stuff, but I think in a very general sense, like a lot of people tend to understand poetry as primarily a, a, a written thing. Like you go to the store and you buy a poetry book or you go get an MFA and you publish your own poetry book or whatever. Um, and I think there's nothing wrong with that. But my own experience as a poet has been much, 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 much more about things like poetry slams and open mics where it's a room full of a hundred people and a dozen people are performing and you hear the audience's response and you talk to each other afterwards about like, oh, that was really amazing how you did X, Y, Z, or I, I wonder what would happen if you did this revision. And like, it's so much more of a collective thing where we are in community together. That's had a, a huge impact on how I approach art as a, a practice. Would you say that you find your work specifically in poetry and spoken word more impactful? Or do you think that depends on the person? I think of my own poems as performance art first and as text second, right? So I think of the book as kind of not so much here is a book of poems, but here is a book of transcripts of my poems. Because the first thing in, in my own mind as a, a writer is how am I going to perform this? Or how is this going to sound on stage in front of a bunch of people? Or where am I going to pause dramatically? And like, like thinking through some of those things. Again, the word there is like intentionality, even on an aesthetic level. Um, but as a performer, thinking about how that all will play out. Other poets, there are a million overlaps between page poetry and performance poetry. And like, 
there's a million different ways to approach the work. That just happens to, to be mine. Cool. We were curious, is there a short piece of poetry of yours that you would like to share with us on this episode? This is one of the, the shorter poems in my book. And it kind of, it touches on a lot of the stuff that we've talked about in this conversation about kind of perspective and narrative. Something that comes up in every conversation about art and activism and like the power of art within a movement context tends to be about imagination and like helping us imagine a different world. And I think one, that's very true. Like it is very, very important for us to be able to imagine the world that we're working toward, especially in the context of like nonviolence um, and like the, that kind of work, because it does push up against the kind of dominant narrative about how things are done or, or how you're supposed to be in the world. And so being able to imagine it first is really important. But then I also think imagination is also about the actual work itself, like being imaginative and creative about how we push this work forward. Again, it'd be another hour long conversation to get into specific details, but I'll share the poem. It's called City of Heart. Steal to eat. Distribute banned critiques of the hoarders and exploiters via hand-copied leaflet. Break a bully's face and laugh. It is so easy to do the right thing and find yourself on the wrong side of the law. Like the street we all know that separates the bad side of the city from the side they say you're not allowed on. Right or wrong is poetry. Legal or illegal is math an equation with one answer black or white like so much of their little world to them you are either inside or outside the cage either citizen or non-citizen male or female i or not i streets run either north south or east west that's how they were built how it's always been remember then when you run where you love this city, your pursuers will only ever love its map, the straight lines and borders, the twin nightsticks of x-axis and y-axis climb up a wall, disappear. So again, not to explain the poem, but because I always have my, my teacher hat on, is like the kind of driving metaphors, that idea of a flat, x-axis and y-axis and how everything always happens on that plane and yet as soon as you take a step onto the z-axis you're completely somewhere else and i feel like that call toward creativity um in our in our resistance and creativity in the the narrative work the stories that we're telling the narratives that that we're seeding um is really really important to kind of not just win the game, but but don't play by the rules that have been set for you, but to, to break those rules in intentional ways. And so again, maybe not the perfect example, but it's a poem that I, I enjoy. Yeah, I think that's a metaphor that's really applicable to what we've talked about today. I think that's a sample of work that the listeners can connect to and maybe discover more for themselves. One last question I have. How can listeners find you outside of this podcast and in the world? Yeah. So again, my name is Kyle Tran Myrie, but for many years I went by the stage name Guante and I'm, I'm trying to just go by my actual name, but my website is still guante.info. So G-U-A-N-T-E.info. Um, and then I'm also on, you know, Instagram at Guante Solo. And then my book, you know, is in bookstores and libraries. It's called Not A Lot Of Reasons To Sing, But Enough. 
not to just keep going on and on with a million ways people can get in touch with me, but you mentioned the Fred Again stuff. And like, you know, you can't find Guante on Spotify. And at least one of the Fred Again songs is, is part of that. But then all my other songs are, are part of that too. Awesome. Thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. For listening to Everyday Nonviolence. To learn more about Friends for a Nonviolent World, visit our website at fnvw.org or call 651 917 0383. We hope you will subscribe so that you don't miss future episodes and insightful conversations. Please note that the views expressed in this podcast are those of the host and guest and are not intended to reflect the official positions of FNVW, its staff, or board of directors. 